wonderful change in my life he has wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have lied in my soul
Jesus Lord. bottom of the page. Take my hand, precious Lord. When my way groweth drear, precious Lord, linger here. When my light is almost gone, hear my Lord, lead me home. When the shadows appear and the night draws near and my day is almost gone, the river I stand guide my feet. Let's turn to page 376. Uh, yeah, we can do this one or, or the next to him, whichever, whichever. We'll take up the Sunday evening sermon uh, offering. Sometimes my tongue gets caught on my eye teeth and I can't see what I'm saying. <clears throat> Brother Glenn, you want to pray on the offer? Amen.
Amen. <clears throat> Take the name of Jesus with you. handouts we can make some more my goodness something's wrong it's a blessing ain't it well that's a blessing I have Jerry or Deb maybe you need to run some more of those we'll see how many we need yet so Okay, we're going to start, kind of drag my feet for a minute until the guys get back from 
playing banker back there. Yes, ma'am. Uh, are we having our meetings Wednesday night as usual? I believe so. Yes, we are. Should take about 10 minutes. <laughs> Not much to it this time. Anyway, we're starting a study tonight, and tonight is just the introduction and to go over. There's 10 lessons as part of this study, so we'll be at it for a little while. But what you have in front of you as we begin this, this class, this study, whatever you want to call it, is it's going to be called Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth. Now, this is a first year, let me, let me explain this class to you. This is a first year, first quarter seminary class. And you might say, well, that sounds heavy. No, it's not, trust me. This is, this is a, the first class that where I went to school, you have to pass this class before you go any further or you don't go anywhere. What this class does is it teaches you to rightly divide the scripture. Now the Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration to God and we know that's true. And it's profitable. So it's all good for us. Now, when you look at that passage, it says some interesting things. It's proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But what's interesting is, is there's commas in between each one of those little sections. Now, if I understand English right, commas separate thoughts and separate positions in the sentence. All scripture is given by inspiration of God comma, and is profitable, comma, for reproof, for correction, right? So what, it's, what, the, what that passage is basically saying is this, is that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, but is all Scripture for reproof? It's not. Is all Scripture for doctrine? It's not. Is it all for instruction in righteousness? No. You see, the thing of it is, is that we have to understand what, how a passage of Scripture relates to us now, at this particular time. If you go through the Old Testament, for example, I didn't see anybody show up this morning with bullocks or turtle doves or um, any of those things. I didn't see anybody show up with those today ready to make a blood sacrifice. Right? Now, why is that? That's right, it, because that was an Old Testament directed to the nation of Israel. So how many Israelites do we have in here this evening? <laughs> so, so do you understand why this becomes important? We were here on the first day of the week, right? On Sunday. But according to the Old Testament, when should we have been here? Saturday. But according to the New Testament, the Christians assembled when? The first day of the week. They collected tithes and offerings when? First day of the week. You know why they did that? Because Jesus Christ resurrected when? On the first day of the week. Us worshiping on the first day of the week is a, is a memorial to when Christ resurrected. 
So each and every Sunday that we get together, what are we doing? In essence, we're celebrating Easter in a way because we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it becomes important that we learn to rightly divide the scripture. Now, with that being said, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I think, I'm going to get my notes here to make sure I'm... Okay, so here's, here's the things you'll need as we go through this class here for the next little bit. Okay, it's going to be a 10-week class, not counting. So we have 10 weeks after this. So the first thing you'll need, hit the button again. You're going to need your Bible. Next one. You're going to need a pen, a pencil, and a notebook. And the next thing you're going to need to do is to pray. <laughs> I'm sorry? Yeah. <laughs> We must rightly divide the scripture. Because if we don't, we will wind up with false doctrine. Now, let me give you some quotes that I've heard some great men say about the Bible. The first one is this love it or leave it, the Bible is always right. I like that. I have a, I have a habit. And I recommend it to any of you, but if you look at the front of my Bibles, you'll see these little notes I have written down in the front. And what these are, these are quotes I've heard preachers say over the years about different things that just stuck with me. And some of the quotes I'm going to give you are certain things I've written down about Scripture. Dr. Herbert Noe said this, he said, you correct the Bible and you, be and you become corrupted. That deep thought. You correct the scripture and you become corrupted. Here's some other ones. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. I believe the Bible, not because I believe in further inspiration, but because I believe in continued preservation. You see, when we look at the Bible, people sit back today and they talk about, well, we need to come up with a better, uh, better translation. It's hard to understand or this, that. No, 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 no. Look at here. Well, the Bible contains errors. No, it doesn't. You know how I know that? Because it says in Psalm 17, God said that he would preserve his word. It's not up to man to preserve his word. God said he would preserve it from this generation forever. So we don't have to worry about finding a better understanding or listening to guys correct the scripture. That's hogwash. If you hear a guy start trying to correct the scripture, let me tell you something. He's putting himself above scripture. And we can't do that. This book, this book must become our final authority. Everything we do in our lives, our Christian lives in this church, every step of the way must be based on what? It must be based on Scripture. It must be. It has to be. This is the only book I know that's infallible. It does not contain error. It cannot even produce error. It's an infallible book. 
And that's what we must remember about the scripture. What you think of the Bible, here's the next one, you ready? What you think of the Bible is what you think of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the, and the word was with God and the word was God. What's that make this book? It's Jesus Christ. This book, the book that you hold, now not the leather and not the paper and not the ink, but the words contained in this book are who? Jesus Christ. Now that's, that's a new thought, isn't it? But that's how important this Bible must be. We must fall hopelessly and helplessly in love with the Scripture. Because what you think of the Bible is what you think of Jesus Christ. Y'all looking at me like a tree full of owls. Who? One of my dear mentors who is with the Lord now said this. He said, I've read the Bible through over 100 times. He said, I know that book is alive. No matter how much I read it, I always find something that I didn't see before. I've done my best to grasp what it says, understand what it means, but it is new every day. You can't beat the Bible. Here's one I really like. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. So when we begin to talk about the strength of the Scripture, we must understand that there's scriptures that have a historical application, they have a doctrinal application, and they have a spiritual application. Preachers are really good at finding the spiritual applications of scripture. But that spiritual application is not necessarily doctrinal application. One fellow said this, he said, don't tell me what it means, tell me what it says. If you're truly saved, who interprets the scripture for you? The Holy Spirit. You don't need anyone to interpret the scripture for you. Well, I've never been to Bible school. I haven't done this. I, it doesn't matter. If you're saved and you have the Holy Ghost of God living within you, you can understand the scripture. And God will give you exactly what you need when you need it. Now, we have to look, again, historical, doctrinal, spiritual applications. Everybody understanding what I'm saying so far? Okay. Now, the next thing is this. We must look at different, another aspect of Scripture, three different aspects of Scripture. Number one, who said it? Number two, when did they say it? And number three, to whom did they say it? Right? Okay. Let me give you an example. Go to Acts 2.38. Just for fun. This is just a great example 
of understanding who said it, when did they say it, and to whom were they speaking. So if we look at Acts 2.38, what's it say? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, wait a minute. I thought we got the Holy Ghost when we got saved. But here Peter is saying, Repent and be baptized, and then you receive the Holy Ghost. All right? Here's the deal. You ready? Number one, who said it? Peter said it. Peter is identified as who? The apostle to the Jew. If we go back to chapter 2 and go back to verse 14, when Peter starts his discourse, what, what does he say? But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem. So who is he speaking to? That's it. Begin to see the thing here? He's not speaking to a Gentile. He's speaking to who? The Jew at Jerusalem. Now here's the next thing. When did he say it? In Acts chapter 2. Do you know what kind of confusion was going on in Christianity in Acts chapter 2? We're right after the crucifixion. After the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. The church wasn't even formed yet. Christianity was in total an uproar. We're transitioning from the Gospels to the New Testament. We're transitioning from Old Testament to New Testament, from law to grace. There's so many things happening in the book of Acts. So let me ask you this. The apostle to the Jew, speaking to men at Jerusalem, speaking before the church was even formed, uh, guess what, Glenn? I don't think it applies to us. Does that make sense? You see, so that's what I'm saying. We have to answer these questions. Who said it? To whom did he say it? And when did they say it? It makes a big difference in understanding our scripture and getting doctrine right. Now look, a person's to be baptized when? After they get saved. Hey, two people accepted Christ this morning. What a blessing. You know what they got when they got saved? They got as much of God the Father as they're ever going to get. They got as much of God the Son as they're ever going to get. And they got as much as God the Holy Spirit as they're ever going to get. Amen. Amen? What makes a difference is how much they allow God to manifest through them. See, that's the difference. We've all got the same amount of God within us if we know Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. The difference is, is how much do we allow God to manifest himself through us? That's the difference. Well, I wish I was that kind of Christian. You are. You just have to allow God to manifest himself through you. Have I lost y'all? Y'all got it, Dean? I'm sorry? Who is? It's all based on allowing him to manifest himself. Right, right. None of us are. Till we're dead. (laughs) 
right? We grow in grace, and as we grow in grace, what happens? The more we grow in grace, the more we allow God to manifest himself through us. Now, three questions. Like I said, who said it? When did he say it? To whom is he speaking? Is it a historical application, a spiritual application, or a doctrinal application? Not hard, huh? Well, how do I figure that out? I'm going to show you. Over the next 10 weeks, I will show you how to figure that out. Now, what you're going to learn over the next 10 weeks will totally and completely open the Bible up to you. Well, I read it, and I don't understand it. Trust me. At the end of the next 10 weeks, when you open your Bible, you'll begin to look at Scripture from a totally different perspective, and you will totally get a different feeling and just... Oh, you can't, I can't explain to you how this is going to work for you. It's incredible. Can you put my next slide up, please? Now, in second, I believe it's 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I asked you to turn there earlier. But the Bible says this. Study. Don't you hate that word? But Paul told Timothy, a young pastor, to do what? Study. Study. Now, you all have worksheets, and as we go through this, there's little blanks you need to fill out. So, and, and it helps you remember as you do these little exercises. But the Bible says, study to show thyself what? Approved. You want to be approved to God? What's it take? Study. Can I let you all in on a little secret? That message I preached this morning... I probably had 10 hours of prep in that message. But you know what I find? The more I prepare, the better God uses the sermon. Now, Dean, you, am, I, am I right in saying that? Brother Jim, am I right in saying that? The more you prepare, the more God uses the message. Study to show thyself approved unto God. What's the next part? A workman. You know what it is when you get in your Bible? It's work. You know why people don't read their Bible? It's work. We think we can sit down and read it like a novel. You can't. Isn't that crazy? It's work. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Now notice what Paul told Timothy. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So Paul told a young, Paul himself told a young preacher to do what? Rightly divide. Well, you might say, well, my Bible doesn't have divisions. Oh, yes, it does. Old Testament, New Testament, 66 books of Scripture. Each book is divided into what? Chapters, and each chapter is divided into what? Verses. Guess what? Your Bible's divided whether you like it or not. But we must what? Rightly divide the word of truth. Look at the next, the next uh, verse. Next slide, please. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness. Now notice, what's the text? What's the context of what we're talking about here? 
rightly dividing the word of truth, right? So with that being said, but shun profane and vain babblings. Where do profane and vain babblings come from? Someone who does not, what? Rightly divide. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto what? More ungodliness. Next slide, please. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Next, please. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Now notice, if we do not rightly divide, there'll be what? Profane and profane babblings. Y'all seen this? Am, am I taking it out of context? It says, who concerning the truth have what? Erred. If we don't rightly divide, guess what we're going to do? We're going to err concerning the scripture. And we will produce error. Not only in our personal lives, but the church, our families, Christianity as a whole. You see? This is, this is a main issue in Christianity today, folks. People are not rightly dividing the Scripture. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that what? The resurrection is past already. Has the res is the resurrection past? No. You know why? We still have cemeteries full of Christians today. The resurrection has not happened yet and overthrow what the faith of some I don't want to be the cause of anyone losing their faith so therefore we must what rightly divide the word of truth that's deep isn't it But that's scripture, is it not? Have I taken anything out of context, Brother Jim? I'm sorry? No. But I guess I'm referencing 2 Timothy 2 right here. We must rightly divide the word of truth. And that's why what I'm going to teach you over the next 10 weeks is so important. We must rightly divide the scripture. Next slide, please. If you fail to rightly divide the Bible, look at this, look at this statement. It's on your worksheet. If you fail to rightly divide the Bible, you will then what? Yes, sir. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, you know what we're warned not to do? Not to add or subtract. In the book of Proverbs, you know what we're warned not to do? We are not to add or subtract. And in the book of Revelation, you know what we're warned not to do? Not to add or subtract. In the front, in the middle, and at the end, God said three times not to add to his word and not to take away from it. 
If we do not rightly divide the scripture, then, we'll, then people will add to it or subtract from it. Here's the dangers. If we do not rightly divide the word of truth, the first thing that can happen is false doctrine. Have you ever talked to anyone about their doctrine and they always seem to have a verse to prove it? You know why that happens a lot of times? They're not rightly dividing the word of truth. Examples. Are you ready? Number one, you can lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. The Bible says you're sealed into the day of redemption. I'm eternally secure. God saved me. He sealed me. I am His. I can't lose my salvation if I tried. But yet there are people today that will teach what? You can lose it. And you know what's funny? You know what one of the passages they use to teach that you can lose your salvation? They'll run to the book of Matthew and they'll talk about the unpardonable sin. The blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. But what's interesting about that is this. Answer the questions. Who said it? When did he say it? And to whom did he say it? You answer those three questions, you'll get a totally different perspective on that passage. You see? You can't lose your salvation. You can't do it. But yet, even though there's passages that seem to teach that you can, when you begin to look at it from a rightly dividing perspective, guess what? You realize even stronger that you can't do it. Here's another false doctrine. Legalism. Legalism. You say, well, what is legalism? What, what legalism says is that we have to um, maintain a certain list of rules and standards in order to maintain our relationship with Christ. False doctrine. Phariseeism was what? The same thing. Legalism. The Sadducees had what in their belief system? Legalism. You have, you have quote-unquote uh, Christian denominations, and I say quote-unquote, that say that we have to obey the Ten Commandments still. I'm not, in, now notice, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's wrong to do that, but what I'm saying is that you don't have to obey the Ten Commandments in order to maintain your Christian relationship with Christ. You see the difference? The Ten Commandments are great. They're wonderful. But you all broke one yesterday. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And guess where we weren't? So what did we do? We broke one of the commandments yesterday. Right? There are other laws in the Old Testament that, that teaches us that uh, an Old Testament Jew couldn't wear clothing made out of two different types of material. 
And I'll guarantee you, you go around and look at some of the tags of the clothes that, you're, that we're wearing in here tonight, you'll find cotton and rayon and nylon and all these stuff blended together. You know what we're doing? We're breaking an Old Testament law. How many of you drove your automobile yesterday? Right? You know what you did when you started that engine yesterday? You broke an Old Testament law. Because the Bible says in the Old Testament not to kindle a fire on a Sabbath day. And if I remember right, the workings of an engine is it's a combustion engine. And when you started it, you kindled a fire. Well, you broke the Old Testament law. Isn't that amazing? You see? Legalism. Here's another false doctrine you'll find. Faith plus works. In so many words, you have to have faith in Christ, but then you have to work to get it. Mormonism teaches this. Jehovah's Witnesses teaches that it's faith plus works. That's why they're beating your doors down. I like to tell the story about the two Jehovah's Witness ladies that came to our house one day. And I was down in my back at the time, and it was blue cold outside. Jerry answered the door, and she invited him in for a minute. And she wanted an opportunity to witness to him. Now, I don't recommend this to everybody, because most people, most Christians can't handle it. You know, that's sad because they know their Bible better than we know ours. So Jerry brought him in and she started talking to him. And I'm in the bedroom and I can overhear this. And I thought, uh-uh. So with every little bit of strength I had, being as down in my back as I was in the pain, I got up and I walked out in the living room and I introduced myself to these two ladies. Did you ever notice they have an older one and a younger one? Like there's, there's always someone in training, right? That's who I focus on. Because they still haven't been so corrupted. You can still reach that younger one. So they began talking about Hebrew. Okay. I said, you know Hebrew? Well, no. And I said, I know a little bit. And they went, I mean, all of a sudden their faces, their eyes just opened up. And I said, you know, according to the Hebrew, you don't even know what your name is. And they looked at me, and I said, in the Hebrew, the name Jehovah is spelled J-V, J-H-V-H, I'm sorry. In Hebrew, you can't pronounce it. There's no audible pronunciation for the name of Christ. And they just kind of sat there looking at me. I said, so for you to call yourself a Jehovah's Witness doesn't work. I said, the second thing is this. I said, you refuse to even go by the full name of God. And they looked at me like, what are you talking about? I said, in the Hebrew, the full name of God is Adonai Elohim Jehovah. Adonai. Anybody know what it is? Adonai is Lord. Elohim, L-E-L. Watch that in the scripture. Because anytime you have a name with L, like Daniel, it has to do with God. Elohim is God. Adonai, Elohim, 
Jehovah, the Lord God Jehovah. And they're just like, and then I took them to Philippians. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. And you know what they don't believe? They don't believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as soon as I said that, and they never came back to our house again. The thing of it is this, it produces a false doctrine, okay? Pretty simple, huh? Y'all won't forget that, will you? Adonai Elohim Jehovah. Let me give you a couple more real quick. We've already talked about one, baptismal regeneration. In so many words, you're not saved until you're baptized. There's different churches today, and I could name them, and I don't want to embarrass anybody or anything, but there's different Christian denominations that believe that, the, that baptism is absolutely essential for salvation, that it washes away our sin. But according to the scripture, there's only one thing that washes away our sin, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, they're trying to take your Bible from you. You'll hear what I said? They're trying to take your Bible from you. They're changing history to destroy your faith. Jeannie said she liked it when I, get, when I get politically incorrect. Okay, let me tell you something. The history they're changing about the Civil War and talking about slavery and all that stuff, it has nothing to do with it. Did y'all hear me? It has to do with that book. Because most of the men that they're degrading, Lee, Jackson, they were all what? Isn't that funny? They weren't fighting. Many of you all don't even realize why the Civil War was fought. We've always been taught it was fought over what? It wasn't. It was fought over the rights of the state. The state, certain states said we can dissolve from the We freely joined it. We can freely leave it. And Lincoln said, oh, no, you can't. You know what the Civil War was over? Rights. You know what you're starting to see, see today? They're doing, trying to do what? Take away our... There you go. Pretty simple, huh, when you look at it that way. They're changing history to take away your faith, to take away your Bible. But why is it happening? Because we've let it happen. 
If thy brother offend thee, what? Turn the other cheek. But you know what else the Bible says? Whatsoever thy right hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. We need to learn to fight for what we have. And we've laid back and allowed the devil and sin and false doctrine to run flat over top of us. And because of it, now we're paying for it. And honestly, ladies and gentlemen, it may be too late. But the rest of the story is this. What did Paul say? He said, there must first come a falling away before the man of sin can be revealed. Can I let you in on a secret? We're living the end times. Lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh. There's so many times I just sit back and think, when are you going to blow the trumpet? Because we're seeing all these things come to pass. Let me let you in on a little secret. They're talking about chipping people now. You know where they want to put the chip? In the right hand. And if that doesn't work, you know what they want to do? Retina scans. What's the scripture say? If thy right hand offend thee, what? Cut it off. If thy eye offend thee? Starts to make sense now, doesn't it? You see? Your Bible's absolutely right. You know someplace else they're talking about putting the chip? Right there. Man, I'll tell you what. Bring it on, man. Because the sooner it gets here, the sooner we go home to be with Jesus. But, let me get back to my lesson here. But when we rightly divide, we obtain a clear presentation of Scripture. We obtain a clear understanding of true salvation. We obtain a clear realization of who Jesus Christ really is. We understand the applications of the historical, the doctrinal, and the spiritual applications of Scripture. And we gain the correct doctrine for our time. That's what happens when we rightly divide. Next slide, please. So as we go through this course, here's what you're going to learn. Go ahead and hit it again. We're going to talk about the Jew, the Gentile, and the church. God deals with three distinct groups of people in the Scripture. He deals with the Gentile, He deals with the Jew, and He deals with the church. You know what's funny? A Jew can't be a Gentile, and a Gentile can't be a Jew, but a Jew can be a part of the church, and a Gentile can be a part of the church. 
You all get that? You know what the church is? It's the body of Christ. So we're going to talk about the Jew, the Gentile, and the church. We're going to talk about the dispensations. Now, how many of you know what a dispensation is? Wow, nobody? A dispensation is defined as this. A dispensation is defined as a time frame in which God dealt with man in a certain way. And let me tell you something. How did he, he dealt with Adam and Eve totally different than he deals with us. He dealt with the Old Testament Jew totally different than he deals with us. He's going to deal with people in the tribulation, how? Totally different than he deals with us now. He'll deal with people in the millennium totally different than he deals with us now. So each and every one of those is called a dispensation. He dealt with Adam differently. He dealt with Abraham differently. He dealt with Noah differently. He dealt with Moses differently. You see? All these things are called dispensations. And we're going to talk about all the dispensations and the time frames in which God dealt with mankind differently at different times. It's important that we understand God has not always dealt with man the same way all the time. That's a mind blower, isn't it? You see why I'm saying this, this, what I'm going to teach you is so important? I'm telling you, it will literally open the scripture to you. Next one, please. The two advents. What's an advent? It's the physical coming of Jesus Christ when he touches down on this earth. The first advent is when he was born as a baby. Is the rapture an advent? No. You know why? He doesn't touch down. But when he comes at the end of the tribulation, the second advent, when he comes again. You know why it's an advent? He touches down. That's what you have to remember about an advent. He literally touches the earth. All right, next one, please. We're going to talk about the two resurrections. You say two? Yeah. There's a resurrection of the living and a resurrection of the dead. And it makes a difference. Next one, please. The five judgments. There's five different judgments in Scripture. You want two of them? The judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. Two different judgments. Man, I'm glad I'm not going to the white throne. You know what's interesting about the white throne judgment? How many times have we heard say that people go to hell for eternity? But they don't. Because you know what happens? Death, or hell gives up the dead that were in it to the great white throne, right? You know why it has to happen? You know where hell is at? According to scripture, hell's in the center of the earth. And what happens to the earth at the end of the book of Revelation? It's gone. So at the, at the great white throne, what happens is hell gives up the dead that were in it, 
They're judged at the great white throne, and then they're put where? Lake of fire. So you're going from the frying pan into the fire, buddy. Makes good preaching. <laughs> Y'all understand? But there's a difference there, okay? So we're going to talk about the different judgments. We're going to talk about law and grace. Aren't you glad we're under grace and not under law? Big difference, huh? Next one, please. The believer's two natures. Do you know you as a believer have two natures? You know what they are? They're the old man and the new man. If any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God told us that we're to reckon the old man what? Dead. Right? But you know what happens? We resurrect that dude all the time. This is the conflict. That's why Paul said, the things which I do, that I do not. But the things that I would not, that I do. You know what Paul's explaining to you in that passage? He's explaining to you the believer's two natures. You have an old nature, the old sinful nature, and you have a new man who wants to be how? Like Christ. So you have this conflict all the time within you, and this is why it's a constant fight. It's your nature. You have the two natures, one against the other. And it's a constant struggle in Christianity because of those two natures. Things are starting to, all of a sudden now things are starting to gel a little bit, aren't they? Starting to see what we're talking about now? Next one, please. The believer's standing and state. You see? Now, here's a big deal. All right? You're standing is this. Are you saved? Then that's your standing. But how many times have we backslid, not lived the way we should be, not doing right? That's your state. You're either in a right relationship with God or you're in a wrong with relationship with God. There's a difference in your standing and your state. Next one, please. Salvation and rewards. The Bible talks about five different crowns that can be earned by the Christian. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about uh, we must all before, stand before or appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And it talks about your, your uh, works will be tried by fire of what sort it is. Wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. You see? My comment has always been this. I'll have, I'll have as big a pile of ashes as anybody there, I'm sure. But I'm hoping I can rake through that pile of ashes and find some gold, some silver, and precious stones to cast at the feet of my Savior. There are differences And we're going to talk about believers and professors. In so many words, there are people who truly believe in Jesus Christ. They are truly saved. But on the other side of the coin, there are some people who are professors. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny. 
They profess they're saved, but guess what? They really aren't. So when we, as we go through the scripture and we look at these different applications, in the next 10 weeks, as we go through each one of these different things here, believe me, your Bible's going to explode in front of you. And you're gonna look at that and go, I never looked at that that way before. It's amazing. Do you all realize there's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? A lot of people don't understand that, but there is. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is a physical kingdom. You know when the physical kingdom happens? The kingdom of heaven? In the millennium, when Christ comes back to rule and reign for a thousand years. But see, we must learn to rightly divide our Bible. And if we don't rightly divide it, we'll add to it or we'll subtract from it. So that's why what I'm going to teach you over the next 10 weeks is so important. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Have I set the hook? This is, like I said, this is a first year, first quarter, Bible school, Bible college class. But this is something that every Christian should know. All right, let's all stand, we'll pray and we'll be dismissed tonight. Brother Pete, dismiss us, would you? Hey, do me, a, do me one other favor. Make sure to tell other people in the church what we're doing on Sunday nights. Wet their whistle and get them to come because this is something our church needs to learn. All right? God bless you all. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night.